but we've been talking about growing pains, and you know, it's interesting because I was super excited when I felt like the Lord said, this is going to be a year of growth, Matthew, in you, and this is going to be a year of growth in, uh, for your people in your church, and, and I really believe that it wasn't just about numbers, that it really was about depth and, and us growing as, uh, you know, closer to the Lord and, and things like that. But then I started to realize uh, growth is painful, right? Gro- when you talk about growth, you can't um, ignore the fact that usually with growth and change comes pain. And uh, any, any Rocky fans? Any here? Any, ro- thank you, guys. Uh, Rocky fans? All right. I, I'm a huge Rocky fan uh, when I was a kid. Uh, you know, part of it was, you know, he, here's this Italian guy, and I was Italian, right? And he was kind of like a role model, and and everything like that, but the scenes where, you know, Rocky would work out, right? Remember the scenes, and by the way, he does it in every single Rocky movie, so if you've seen one of the 50 Rocky movies that he's made, um, you will have seen this scene, and the scene is, is that he's always getting ready for the big fight, the, the, the big, you know, uh, you know, on set on the world stage, and, you know, there's the one that he does in uh, in Russia and all that kind of stuff, and he's working out. I have to admit, those scenes look painful, okay? They look extremely painful. It does not look like he's acting. It looks like he's really doing all those, you know, sit-ups where he's literally hanging, you know, and he's doing a sit-up, or, and they're punching him in the stomach while he's doing that, and then they're, they're throwing big old, you know, bags of whatever, 50 pounds something on him. I mean, all that kind of stuff. And he's doing it, and he's sweating, and and all that stuff. And I just think to myself, that looks extremely painful. I do not want to be a boxer. I do not want to work out like that because I just have, I I don't have it in me, and I really don't like pain. Anybody else with me on that? I really don't like pain, okay? But... When we're talking about growing spiritually, we still need to understand that there's going to be some pain involved, right? When we're, if we're wanting to grow, we need to understand and that, you know, I, I thought that when I became a Christian, you know, that life would just be roses, that everything would be handed to me. I'm a Christian now. Everything's going to be great. It's, everything's going to be perfect. And by the way, life has not been that way at all. In fact, when I became a Christian, things actually felt like they got harder. Anybody else feel that way? You feel like, well, I became a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ. Why does it feel like life just got harder? Well, that's because we're growing. That's because we're wanting to become more and more and more like him. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about growing more and more like him every single day. Have you ever felt um, stagnant in your walk with Christ? Have you ever felt that dry we talked about, uh, uh, you know, and even in that song um, that we sang during worship, uh, you know, those kind of desert times? Anybody ever feel like you experienced those seasons of life? There, there's those, I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember, um, and it was really around uh, my grade school years, I went to a camp and I had this amazing experience where God literally, uh, you know, in the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit came upon me so real. It was so real that I was on fire. In fact, after the little kid service, we were in elementary. I was in like the fifth grade. Once the service was over, I wanted to pray for everyone, everyone, all the kids, all the leaders. I wanted to, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? I was just like on fire. They had to finally tell me, Matthew, settle down. 
It's okay, service is over, all right? Just settle down. <clears throat> and then eventually what happens? Time goes on, weeks go by, months goes by, and that camp experience that I had kind of seemed to just fade away. And then you kind of just go back into the routine of life, and then you can really even feel like that you just start to almost kind of just drift, right, away from God. I mean, that was how I felt. I don't, I don't really believe that God was ever away from me, but I felt that, that distance where I felt so close to him and then there's these other times that I've felt kind of distant from him. So I, I found this scripture that kind of speaks to this, and it's in 2 Corinthians. It's, it's funny because uh, uh, Pastor Daniel said uh, that he's been reading in 2 Corinthians, and so have I. Uh, 2 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles with you or your Bible apps, 2 Corinthians 3, um, uh, 7 through 18. If you'd like to turn to there, I'll be reading it out of the New Living Translation. So this is from... Paul, Paul's writing to the, the church of Corinth, okay, and he's encouraging them, and, and he kind of addresses this idea of, of becoming more and more like God, okay, so let me read it to you. It says this, 2 Corinthians 3, uh, starting in verse 7, the old way with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? He's, he's referencing, Paul is referencing when, when, uh, when Moses would spend time with God. He would literally leave the people of Israel. He would go up and he would spend time with God. He said, spent so much time with God that literally God's glory was shining off of Moses. So when they would see him, they would literally be like, oh my gosh, we can't even look at Moses' face. And he would actually wear a veil over his face. It was pretty interesting. Let me continue to read. If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? Paul's now talking about, listen, <clears throat> Moses, right? He, Moses is the one who brought down the law, you know, so when we think of the Ten Commandments and the law, and then we think of Moses, but he's saying, you know, if that way was so glorious... And yet we were under this weight of the law, all these rules and do's and don'ts. Paul's saying, how much more glorious is it that we are under, you know, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, that he has gone ahead and paid your penalty, penalty so that you don't have to, when, you know, Moses comes around, you don't have to hide from the glory of God anymore. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses, who has to put a veil over his face so that people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, <clears throat> whenever the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so that they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Jesus Christ. Yes, even today, when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil, and they do not understand. But whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. 
For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, here it is, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. If you're familiar with the New King James uh, translation, the New King James actually reads like this. It says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So what does all this mean? What does all this mean? When we don't live under the law anymore, which, which means we don't live under the, that condemnation that you are a, you know, a sinner. Yes, we are sinners, but you don't have to live under that condemnation that you are a screw-up, that you're never going to amount to anything, that you're not worth anything, you know what I mean? That Jesus has come, that Jesus has paid that debt for us, that veil now has been removed for us, and now the glory of the Lord that shines can now shine through us. But what does it mean to go from glory to glory? And I love how the, even the New Living Translation says, the Spirit of the Lord makes us more and more like him. We start to look like God a little bit more every day when we allow his spirit to rule in our lives. <clears throat> when I was young, about when I started to hit the teenage years, uh, everybody would tell me, wow, Matthew, you really look like your grandfather. Oh, my gosh. You look so much like your grandfather. Wow. They would show me pictures and stuff like that. And then I hit about like my 20s, and I would get, oh, wow, you look just like your dad. Oh, my gosh. You even walk. In fact, I was walking in front of my stepmom one time, and she goes, you walk just like your dad. Now, I don't know what it is, but why is it when somebody tells you that, you kind of go, no, I don't. You know what I mean? You get all kind of like, you know, someone tells you you look like your mom, or you look like your dad, or you do this just like so-and-so, and you do this. You kind of go, no, I don't. You almost take offense to that. You know, but I have to admit, you know, there, there's, a, there's a kind of a pride now, you know, when people tell me that I look you know, like my grandfather or that, oh, you walk like your dad, you know what I mean? We obviously, you know, take on the characteristics of our, our worldly parents. Why not take on the characteristics of our heavenly father? And when the spirit of God is living inside of us and he's dwelling inside of us, every single day, more and more, people will start to say, you know who you look like? You know who you sound like? You know who you talk like? You talk like your heavenly father. That is what we should be ultimately aspiring to. But there's a place that Christians, where we get kind of caught up in perfection, Right? We get caught up into this idea that, okay, I'm a Christian now. I got to do everything right. Right? But I believe this. It's not about perfection, but about progress. It's not about perfection, but about progress. I want to help you with your thinking that, well, because I'm a Christian, I need to do it perfect. Well, let me tell you something. There's nobody in this room who's perfect. None of us. None of us are perfect, so why do we as Christians put this idea of perfection, like I need to reach a certain level, you know, here on earth, that I need to look a certain way, I talk a certain way, and act a certain way. Now, yes, God wants us to be 
looking more and more like him. But we need to get off of this idea of that I've reached some level of perfection. Because on this earth, you will truly never reach that. Until we're in his presence, will we be perfect? I love this. I actually found this quote by Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. The measure of intelligence is the ability to change. When you become a Christian, the whole, it's this whole process of starting that you will change every single day. That every day you will go from glory to glory. That every day that you will become more and more like him. It's not this idea that, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm perfect. I'm going to stay exactly the same way I am right now and I'm not going to change. No, every day should be this process of change where God, and, I, and I, this is where the pain comes from, where he's constantly knocking and breaking you apart to then build you back up more and more to his image. He tears you down again. You're like, oh, it's painful, God. Oh, it's painful. He's like, I got to do it, though, so that when I build you back up, you look more and more like me every single time. Jesus already made us perfect by conquering death for us. It is faith in God that makes us righteous, not by anything that we have done. I just want to look at this passage of Scripture, Philippians. It's also Paul writing this, but Philippians 3, starting at verse 8, says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage. I love the the New Living Translation, garbage. All is garbage or rubbish. Rubbish, right, rubbish. So that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, right? I no longer count on anything that I can do. Then any type of level of perfection. By the way, I'm I'm now ad-libbing, so please, I hope you're not still reading along. uh, On my own uh, righteousness through obeying the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. Did you hear what I just said? It has nothing to do with what you do. It has to do with who owns you. It has to do with who your father is. It has to do with who you are associated with. I want to illustrate this thought, that it's not about what you do, that it's, that it's literally about, you know, who, who owns you. And, and Sheila, oh, would you hand me uh, the shirt, please? I have this shirt that I own. How much, uh, do you like my shirt, by the way? You like it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, how much do you think this shirt is worth? How much do you think this shirt is worth? Ann, how much do you think this shirt is worth? $35. That's, what, that's, that's pretty good. That's kind of the price is right. That's right. We're kind of doing the price is right for any of those who like uh, the price is right. Uh, $35. Anybody else? A bit sound of just fair? That sound about right? $35, $30 to $40? What'd you say? $36. $36. Do I hear $37? Do I have $37? Do I have. So if you were to buy this shirt, you would say, for me, it would be worth about $35. Can we all be uh, in agreement with that? Does that sound, sound good? Okay, now, what if I told you this shirt was actually owned by Elvis Presley? You'll still give me $35 for it, Right? By the way, the shirt was not owned by Elvis Presley, or it would not be just hanging on a plastic hanger like this. I love Elvis, 
and if I own something, let's pretend for a moment that this was Elvis's shirt. How much do you think it's worth? How much? A so million dollars? How much would you pay, right? That would be whatever you'd be willing to pay for it, especially if you were a huge Elvis fan like I am. Okay? Here's my point. You're walking around and you think that you're a $35 shirt. And you think by upping the value of you that it has to do with what you do. Maybe if I do the dance. You know what I mean? But simply by me telling you who owns this shirt, what happened to the value? The value skyrocketed in your opinion, right? That's who you are. You think that you're a $35 shirt when really you are owned by the king of kings. And your value is priceless. In fact, your value was so high to God, thank you, Sheila, that he was willing to send his own son in your place. That was the payment. He redeemed you through that payment. You need to start seeing yourself like that. I I feel like we get trapped And this idea of being a Christian, that one we have, it's kind of, it's almost this oxymoron or this, you know, these two separate sides that on one side we feel worthless. On one side we feel like a $35 shirt that you can get anywhere. Right? But then on this other side, you kind of have this level of expectation that you kind of set for yourself or you believe other people have set for you. So there's this Terrible war being waged if I feel worthless, but yet I feel like I'm supposed to be perfect. And I'm here to tell you it's neither. Not only is your worth, you know, so great that it literally, that the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Son of God came down and laid his life down for it, but he's not asking for from perfection from you because he's already made you perfect. He's only wanting Progress. He's only wanting you to grow from glory to glory a little bit more each day like him. Paul rightly says that he has not reached perfection. None of us are perfect on our own. We all still make mistakes. Even as Christians, we still have not reached this, perfection, uh, this perfect state that will only be achieved in heaven. My wife's nearly perfect. Pretty close. Meet Sheila, pretty close. So let's, let's look at some ways that we could become more uh, and more like him. I'm actually uh, skipping a little ahead, Jonathan, I'm sorry. <clears throat> How do we become more and more like him? Here's, the, here's number one. Here's number one, because I believe it starts here. Stop believing the lies. Stop believing the lies that the enemy has laid trap for you that says that you're worthless. Stop believing the lies that says that if you don't live in this perfect state, right, this this level of perfection, that you are somehow not a good Christian. That somehow God's saying, nope, you're, you know, I'm sorry. You know, you you gotta look like this. You gotta talk like this. You gotta, you know what I mean? Have we not already figured out in this world that that so many people put on a persona and then you find out the truth and you find out, oh my gosh, they've been living a complete lie, right? Famous people, news anchors, you know, 
political people, all of a sudden it comes out, the truth, the truth comes out, right? Second Corinthians 3.14, but the people's minds were hardened and to this day, uh, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Jesus Christ. So number one, if you believe in Jesus Christ, that veil has left. And then in John 8.32, and it says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I believe that most people are prisoners in their own mind because they do not know the truth, or they know it, but they don't believe it. Number two, see who you really are. See who you really are. It's like looking at that shirt. When you wake up in the morning and you look into the reflection, stop seeing the the Walmart shirt, right? See the, what's a big, Macy's, Saxford Avenue, I don't know what it is, Tommy Bahamas, right? Think of yourself as a, as a shirt owned by Elvis or wh- whomever you would put a value on if you owned their clothes, right? Stop, seeing, stop looking at yourself as worthless. Stop looking at yourself as who you truly are, which is a child of God. In 2 Corinthians 3.12 since this new way gives us such confidence. Oh, sorry, I skipped, sorry. 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. What I love about this promise is that you don't have to do anything to earn it. There's nothing in your own power. We talked about strength last week. There's nothing in your own strength that you have to do to earn it. It's simply by believing in Jesus Christ we become a child of God's. All right, number three, live a bold life. 2 Corinthians 3.12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. Listen, boldness is not arrogance. Boldness only comes from knowing who's on your side. It comes from knowing who owns you, Right? whose shirt you are. That's, what, that's the boldness that you have, right? It's not an arrogance. It's not that I walk around with an arrogance. It's a boldness. It's a, listen, I want you to know what I know. I want you to be set free as I have been set free. I don't want to watch you walk around in bondage of lies in your head that I want to reveal the truth to you since I have been, the truth has been revealed to me so that I now come to you in boldness. Not an arrogance, boldness. It's like that boldness, that that David and Goliath type of boldness, right? We all know the story, the David and Goliath type of story. Physically, David should not have won that fight, but he had God on his side. That was the difference. He had God on his side. You have God on your side, so that when you have a situation coming in front of you, You have, you know, whether it's at work, whether it's relationally, whether it's with family, whether, you know, whatever it is, that when you have that thing come and oppose you, right, that you can stand in that confidence, that boldness to say, I have God on my side. You are not going to ruin me. Amen? Number four, and then we walk 
in that freedom, like it says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, for the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Right? This speaks to the bondage of perfection, right? That's what I'm talking about. That idea of perfection is really a bondage on us. That, that uh, you know, that feeling is if you don't do it right or you don't measure up, that you will somehow be cast aside, that you'll be kicked out of the club, right? How many of us feel that way sometimes? No joke. I was talking to, you know, a, a friend, uh, a really, of, of all of ours, but, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend and and we were talking about her just taking a break and, and a rest. And she said, I really need it. And, and I was like, no, please, you know, you need to do that. And, you know, there's a lot of the stuff that she was doing for the church and things like that. But you know what she said to me? She says, I'm afraid. I said, why are you afraid? She says, I'm afraid I'm not going to be worth anything to the church anymore. That no one's going to need me or want me or, 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 you know what I mean? That I won't be part of the club, part of the team. But, and, and it, this light bulb went on and I thought to myself, I believe we all feel that way, right? That if I do something wrong or, or that if I simply just even take a step back or that I'm not doing that one act of service that I was, that somehow my value will drop. I love it. A great pastor friend of mine said this. He said, he said we need to treat people like jewels and not treat them like tools. And here's what he meant. We usually, in a church setting, for those of you who've been around church long enough, we, we usually treat people like tools. When I need you, you're valuable to me, right? But when I don't need you, I put you back in the, the work shed and I don't need you anymore and I go on over, he, over here. I believe that if you have spent any amount of time in the church, you have felt that, right? You felt treated like a tool. But this pastor, a friend of mine, says we need to treat people like jewels. You know what that means? That doesn't mean that even if they're doing nothing, like if there was a big pile of jewels on here, they're doing nothing, that there's value. That's how God sees you. Sees you like a jewel, not a tool. And, and I, I got to, you know, apologize on behalf of the church, apologize if I've ever done this, but we need to change that attitude and that thinking that just because maybe you're not doing something at the moment or maybe you're, you know, you're struggling with something at the moment, that somehow your value de decreases, then that is not the truth. Because you are still highly valued to God and you should be highly valued by his church. Amen? Amen. Will you guys help me with that? Will you guys help me make that the culture of, of city church? The last one, <clears throat> excuse me is don't give up. Don't give up. I want to talk about something really real for just a moment. I know it's going to get really low, and I hope I, hope I can bring it back up. But I want you to know when that young pastor took his life about a month ago, it rocked me because I thought, we're doing the same thing. And I know that, feel, that those lows, you know, I know those lows, and, and, I, and I love the fact that he was a huge advocate for, uh, uh, um, for uh, mental and emotional healing and all that stuff, and, and, and I believe in it 100%, but it literally, it rattled me more than just, you know, if I heard somebody, but the, the fact that he was a pastor, and it just broke my heart. And I realize that sometimes as pastors, and, and by the way, I'm also saying sometimes we as Christians, we feel alone. And that had to have been how he felt. 
he had to have felt so alone. And can we, can we try to never, ever allow that to happen, where we would feel alone, where we would get to a place where, you know, where we didn't feel like we could reach out to, to anyone. And so my encouragement to you is don't give up. You are a work in progress, right? You are a work in progress. Second Corinthians 3.18, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. I want to hopefully free you of any weight that is on you where you feel like you have to, right? I have to be you know, right, to be accepted, or I have to, you know, or I have to talk, you know what I mean, whatever it is that begins with, like, I have to, no, we are daily, right, in progress, we are daily growing, we are daily becoming more and more and more like him, now, let's not forget that growth is painful, so there are going to be those moments of pain, but don't give up. Because that's just the process of God breaking off us. And when he builds us back up, we start to look more and more like him. Amen? Amen. Will you guys pray with me?